0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Catalyst. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. And today is the final Sunday of our series that we've been in uh, for the last couple of months called Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. Uh, so today is, it, we're going to be doing a, a lot of review, but we're also, of course, going to be talking about the, the last thing that God uses to grow our faith. So this whole series started with asking that question, what is faith? And we, we saw that the heart of faith is really relationship. Uh, that faith is about trust. And really the whole story of Scripture is the story of a a loss of trust, a break in trust, uh, where we stopped trusting God and tried to strike out on our own. And the whole story of the Scriptures is the story of God working to rebuild trust with humanity. God inviting us back into relationship and inviting us deeper into relationship. And so we saw that there are five things that God uses to do that. And they're not, it's not like a list we found in the Bible somewhere or anything. It's just that when you talk to people who have a deep relationship with God, who have what we would consider like a big faith, there are these five things that keep coming up over and over and over. Uh, So we first looked at practical teaching, that idea that there's always this moment in, in the life of someone with big faith where God's story becomes their story. Right where, where it goes from being this, like, religion being this uh, exterior thing that's far off, that's distant, that's removed, uh, to being something that's personal and practical in our lives. And we, we understand that when God commands us to do things, we can just, we can do them, right? We can live them in our lives and our faith blows up. Uh, the second thing was providential relationships. That, again, there, there are time, there are people in our lives that when we look back, we say, wow, God... It seems like God brought that person into my life for a reason. So we talked about those relationships, how to identify them and how to lean into those because, uh, you know, relationships can hurt us too, right? And we can't always control uh, who's in our life. And so we need to look for those people that God brought into our life to grow our faith and lean into those relationships, Uh, Then we looked at private disciplines, the idea that God gives us practices in our lives, things like giving, things like prayer, things like reading scripture, that are meant to help us begin to learn who God is and how God works in our lives. And that when we begin to make space for God, our faith grows. And then last week we looked at personal service, this idea that God calls us, usually beyond our comfort zone, usually beyond what we understand our capabilities to be, so that we have to trust right and god doesn't ask us to be professionals god doesn't ask us to be perfect god asks us to do what we ha- can right bring what we have and then trust that when we do that god will work and do amazing things so the last one the fifth thing is pivotal circumstances and again you talk to people who have big faith and they'll always say there was this moment in my life where there was a change and sometimes it's a good thing right sometimes it's like i met this person who invited me to this church and when i got there wow right? Or they say, I went on this mission trip, and my experience there completely changed how I understand God. Or they'll say something like, I had a kid, right? And then I begin to ask those big questions in a different way. They seemed a little more urgent, right? Sometimes good things really can melt our cynical little hearts, right? Sometimes that's true. More often, though, if we're honest, the things that affect our faith, these big circumstances, are hard things. They're painful things, like we moved away from everything we know, and we had to kind of start over and build from scratch. That's really hard, that can be scary. Uh, Sometimes it's things like uh, we had a relationship that was really important to us come to an end, right? Or we experienced the death of someone who was close to us and it affected us in a profound way. Uh, Or we lost a job, right? Or someone betrayed us. These kinds of big, significant moments Uh, can be really, really painful. And the thing is, when you talk to someone with big faith and they share one of those stories, they always say the same kind of a thing. They say, you know, I wouldn't wish what I went through on my worst enemy. It was terrible. It was awful. I wouldn't wish anyone would ever have to go through that. But I also wouldn't change it for the world. And you go, how could that be? Right? How How could you be grateful for something that happened to you that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy and when you ask them that they say well it was because in the midst of that painful thing God became real to me I realized that God was personal and God was real and that God cared about me and that God was with me and working in those circumstances and so even though it was terrible uh, I wouldn't go back and change it because God worked in that circumstance to grow me and to bring me closer and have a bigger faith so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today, pivotal circumstances. We're going to ask how we can begin to learn to see God at work in those big events, in those painful moments. Uh, because the truth is, God is in those moments. God is working. And if we can learn how to listen for God, how to spot God, then our faith will grow. Because God is always working to bring us in, to draw us closer to faith because God loves us, God wants a relationship with us. And so we're going to begin this morning by celebrating this God, by insisting that this God is good. Uh, So if you'll stand with me, we're going to begin uh, by singing together. So today we're talking about that fifth thing that God uses to grow our faith, pivotal circumstances. Uh, What do we do when we encounter those big moments that, again, sometimes are good, but usually are, are difficult? Uh, how do, how do we find God at work in the midst of them? Uh, how, do, how do we how do we engage them in a way that grows our faith? because it doesn't again, it's not automatic those those experiences don't always produce bigger faith. A lot of times they they work the opposite of that. they actually they, they really end up hurting people's faith. Uh, so to to dive into that, I want to, Uh, Go to C.S. Lewis, one of uh, the the most famous Christians of the 20th century and one of the most influential uh, writers of faith uh, in, in church history. Uh, he has this wonderful book called The Problem of Pain. It's 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 one of those books that's very short but still takes an impossibly long time to read because it's so dense and thick and like every every page you read a paragraph and you have to take a break and think about it for like a day. You know, it's like one of those. Brilliant book. And the book is getting at that question of, it's, uh, it's, uh, theologians call it the, the problem of theodicy, which is a fancy way of saying why do bad things happen, right? If God is good... God is all powerful. Then why is there suffering in the world? It's it's, it's the question of theodicy, and, it, and it's one of the most I don't know if popular is the right word, but it's one of the most discussed issues in in particularly in Christian theology. Why does God allow bad things to happen to us? Is God not good, or is God not able, or what? You know, again, why? And, and that that becomes especially. Uh, urgent when we're in the midst of one of those painful circumstances, right? Uh, the, when, again, when, we're, when things are good, it's fun to have sort of an academic discussion about those things. But when you're, when you're hurting, it becomes a very urgent question, why, why is this happening to me? And so in, in his book, The Problem of Pain, Lewis does something really brilliant. It's something that uh, actually it's something the biblical writers do, where he sort, of, he sort of pushes the why question to the side. Right? He's, he says, I don't know if we can actually ever fully answer this why question. What I'm more interested in than why does bad stuff happen is, well, what do we do since bad stuff happens? Right? So not so much why, but like, well, what now? And again, that's a question that means the most when you're in the midst of a painful circumstance. Right? Uh, we're going to see later today that actually knowing why something happens or having like all of the right answers or the right theological perspective on something doesn't actually make it any easier to engage and deal with. And so that's what Lewis does. He's like, what if, what if instead of asking why, we sort of instead pivot and say, well, what do we do in the midst of a painful circumstance? Right? Instead of asking why, ask what now? Since we're in the midst of a crisis, since we're in the midst of pain, since we're in the midst of one of those pivotal circumstances, what, do we, what we ask why now? So I want to give you just one quote uh, from uh, the problem of pain that I think will really sort of shape where we're going today. So in that book, Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So Lewis says, in the midst of pain, this is when God is shouting at us. That, that in some way, we can hear God's voice more clearly in the midst of pain than we can in the midst of pleasure, or even when we're just kind of consulting our conscience about a decision, trying to discern something right. right? If, uh, when we can hear God's voice the loudest, is when we're suffering, when we're in the midst of one of those painful circumstances. Now, Lewis is drawing on, again, on the scriptural witness, and it, what he says there sounds an awful lot like what James, the brother of Jesus, says in his letter that we have at the end of the New Testament the book of James. In uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James says this. Right now, again, this is like the beginning of the letter, right? The first one is like, James, I'm Jesus' brother, so what I say is probably right, right? Like that. He doesn't really say, I just, whatever. This is verse 2. Right? So this is basically the opening of the letter. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for a great... It sounds like a bad sales pitch, right? Have you considered that maybe your greatest barrier is actually your greatest opportunity, Right? But he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That is a bold claim, right? That we would consider any kind of trouble that comes our way. Trouble that we make for ourselves. Trouble that we endure because of other people's choices. Trouble that's not really anyone's fault, but it's still terrible, right? Consider any kind of trouble that comes your way an opportunity for great joy. How can he say this? Well, look what he says. For you know... That when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, can you you imagine for a second what your life would be like if every time you hit a hardship, you were like, oh, goody. (laughs) And you meant it, right? You weren't just like sarcastically being like, oh, good, here we go again. But if every time you hit some kind of a a painful circumstance, even while you're hurting, even while you're stressed, even while there's that anxiety bubbling up in you like it does, even while all of that is happening, there's another part of you that is like, this is going to be great eventually. I mean, how would that change how you experience those things? Again, we're not, we're not saying it's like a magic wand that takes it away, right? It's still there, and it still hurts, and it's still hard. But there was like this deeper piece of you that said, you know what, something is happening in the midst of this. Right? My faith is being tested. And, and the, the, the word that's used for testing here, it's, it's, uh, it's the, actually the best modern analogy I have is like working out. Right? It's being strained. It's being, it's being worked out. It's being exercised. Your faith muscle is being worked out. And you know what happens when you work out a muscle, right? It gets bigger. So that's what James is saying. He's like, look, well, yeah, this is hard. I get, uh, if you know the gym rule, no pain, no gain, right? Like it has to hurt or you're not doing it right. right? So it's like, yeah, it's not that it doesn't hurt. It definitely hurts. That, that's how you know that your faith muscle is being flexed. It's being worked out. And so Eventually, on the other side of this pain, this, this flexed faith is going to produce character in you. And it's actually, a, it's actually evidence that God is, is making you complete. God is, uh, the way Paul says it somewhere else, he says, God is finishing the work that he started in Jesus in you. So when you're experiencing this pain, you can have joy because you know that God is doing something in the midst of that pain. Now I want to be very clear for a moment before we get into our our main scripture for today. What we are not saying is that God hurts us for our own good, okay? Again, scripture is very clear elsewhere that we don't say that God is the one who is tempting us or testing us, right? We're tested because of our own sinful desires. Paul also tells us that every good thing comes from God, right? And that God works all things together for our good. So we're not saying that God is doing things to us for our own good, right? That's not not the kind of God that we worship. One that says, well, yeah, he hurts you sometimes, but it's because he really loves you. That's abuse, okay? So that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that in the midst of trials and hardships, in the midst of those Parts of life that everyone has that we cannot get away from, God is present with us, and that God loves us enough to rescue us and redeem us even in the midst of those things, even in the midst of those things that we did to ourselves. Okay? God loves us enough not to leave us at the mercy of someone else's sin, or even at the mercy of our own sin. God loves us enough to work in us and to flex that faith muscle and help us to grow and to work all of the things that happen to us, both good and bad, together for good. Okay? That's what we're saying. So, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 11 today. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn over there or click over there. If you're on a, a smart device, that's fine. That's great. Uh, if you've one of the free Bibles out of the back, this is on page 645. And uh, again, if you don't own a Bible, please keep that one. We'd love for you to consider it a gift from us. Uh, as you're turning over, this is the story of Lazarus' death and, spoiler, resurrection. Uh, so, Lazarus is one of Jesus' good, good friends. Okay, uh, he has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they live in Bethany, which is uh, a suburb of Jerusalem. And so it's, it's, it seems as though, from what we can tell in Scripture, that whenever Jesus visited Jerusalem, he would stay in Bethany with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So they're like his home away from home, right? They were kind of like his extended family. And uh, in this story, Lazarus is going to get sick, and I want to just watch with you how Jesus interacts in this story okay? Uh, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the, the passion story actually begins in John 12, so we're not, we're not very far from, from his last days at all. Uh, but let's begin reading in verse 1. John tells us that a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And th- this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Now, her brother Lazarus was sick, So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend, right, your good buddy, the guy that's like as close as a brother to you, is very sick. Now, pause here for a moment. Wouldn't you think that being friends with the Christ would have some perks? (laughs) Right? And again, not just friends, but like, he crashes at your pad when he comes to town. Right? Like, you call the guest room the Jesus room. Right? I mean, that's like, like he's... Wouldn't you think that there would be some kind of perks with this? Right? That if you're sick, for instance, this guy who kind of became famous for healing sick people would come visit pretty quickly so he could heal you. Or even if you were here the first week of the series, we read that story where Jesus healed from a distance, right? The centurion came to him and said, my slave is sick, could you come heal him? And Jesus was like, yeah, let's, let's go. And the guy was like, oh, I, I mean, you're, you, my, I'm not worthy to have you in my house if you'll just say it from here. And, and Jesus said, okay, great, done, Right? So, again, we know Jesus does the long-distance healing thing for Roman centurions. So, surely, for his good buddy Laz, right, he's going to come through. (laughs) Let's read what happens. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Don't worry, everyone. Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. He stayed where he was. He said this is for God's glory, which is another way of saying God's reputation. right? What he's saying there is I'm gonna, we're going to learn something about God here. And, and all of this is happening the way it's happening so that we can learn something about who God is. So he stays where he is and Lazarus dies. Like, dies. Like, they bury him. He's dead. And then Jesus goes to Bethany. Imagine that dinner scene. Right. Let's go ahead and look. We're going to skip down to verse 20. Now, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, if you know anything about, else about Martha from the rest of the scripture, she was the um, assertive one. Him. She went to meet him. Mary stayed at the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now again, just try to, just try to feel what Martha feels here. Angry, angry, confused, betrayed, devastated. I mean, probably all of these things, right? It's like every five seconds she's feeling something different because her brother's lying in a grave. And this guy, this famous healer, who they thought was their friend, who they thought would be with them through thick and thin, couldn't even be, he just like hung out for two days. He didn't even have meetings to cancel. He just couldn't be bothered. And now he comes and he, he gives that terrible theology that people always say at funerals because they just don't know what to say. So they say something so they feel better, but it makes you feel worse, right? Mm-hmm. He says, Don't worry, Martha. He'll rise again. And she's like, I know that. I know about the final resurrection. Like, she has good theology, right? But good theology isn't helping Martha right now. Mm-hmm. She's still hurting, she's still grieving. We're going to skip down, uh, or let's go ahead and finish this, this little part. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Right? He says, do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm your friend? Do you trust that I love you? Do you trust that I love Lazarus? And Martha, I mean, again, I just, I picture her, like, you know, tears running down her face, doing her best here. She's like, yes, I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. That's part of why I'm so mad right now. She's doing her best. She's trying to figure this out. If you skip on down to to verse 35, Jesus finally approaches the tomb. John tells us that that when he gets to the tomb, Jesus wept, and the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So I I love that Jesus weeps here, right? I love that, again, he doesn't rush past the pain of the world that we live in. That he takes the time to grieve. I think too often we don't do it. We too often we want to skip to the, the answers and stuff, and we don't just sit in the pain and, and grieve. But Jesus does, right? He, he knows what's about to happen. He's the only one who knows what's about to happen. And that doesn't stop him from grieving with us, from hurting with us. But there are some people who frankly have a point. They're like, really, man? I mean, you're healing blind people. He was just sick. You couldn't have done something right? They're, they're suggesting that maybe his tears are a little disingenuous. Why didn't he heal him? I mean, could, could it be that he had a, a bigger agenda, right? Could it be that he was doing something else? Let's go on down to, uh, I'm going to skip the part, I mean, Jesus, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, right? And then uh, in verse 41, it says, they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me you always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Je- Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. And many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Many of the people believed. Right? This was not just for Lazarus. This was not just for Mary and Martha. Jesus was doing something here that would affect, impact the faith of many people. This is the heart of the issue for us. When we experience these painful times, do we believe that God is present in the midst of them working? Do we believe that God is with us? Do we believe that God loves us do we believe that God is our friend? Sometimes that's hard for us to believe, particularly in the midst of these painful circumstances. And I love Lewis's image of the megaphone, right? That the, 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 the God uses pain to shout at us, but I, I kind of think it's actually the opposite. I think that God always speaks to us in these small, still whispers, and most of the time in our lives, our lives are filled with so much noise that we can't hear. We can't hear God's, God's small, still whisper. And what happens in times of pain, in times of crisis, is a lot of that gets stripped away. Like we just don't have time for any of that horsing around, right? And so all that, all that stuff that we usually fill our lives with is gone, and often all we're left with is that still, small whisper. So sometimes the reason pain is a gift is that it strips all that away, and, and it gives us the opportunity to stop and to listen and to ask, where is God at work? How is God at work? What is the evidence here that God is with me and God loves me? Right? This kind of realization that God is working in my pain, that it's, it's not that, it's not proof that God is absent or that God doesn't love me or that God doesn't care, but it's actually an invitation for me to see where God is at work, to pay attention to what God is doing. This has changed how I encountered those difficult times in my life. I mean, again, they don't hurt any less, but instead of asking why, I say, I know that God is doing something in the midst of this. I know that God is present with me I know that God is working. I know this is a chance for me to flex that faith muscle. To choose to believe like Martha did, right? Where she was like, look, I don't understand this. I don't understand why you waited. I don't understand why you're here right now. I don't get any of it, but I I believe. It's my chance to do that. To trust God. And every time I've done that, I've seen how God has grown in me and grown my faith. and It actually makes it easier the next time a crisis comes around to consider it a chance for great joy. Which again just sounds ludicrous. Right? But because again and again and again I have seen how God has been faithful. It's, it makes it easier for me to look at those as opportunities. and A chance for me to grow my faith. So I wanted, I wanted to give us a good bit of time here at the end of, of this gathering today because it is the sort of the finale of this whole series. Uh, I wanted to give us a good bit of time to reflect on our faith. For the last six weeks, we've been asking what does it look like to trust God more? For the last six weeks, we've been insisting that God is the main mover in our faith. That God is actually actively doing things in our lives to draw us deeper into relationship. That everything we're doing is, is only responding to God. We can't move first because God is always already on the move in our lives. And so as we enter into this, this time of communion, and this time of prayer, I, I want to go back through those uh, those five things that we've been talking about. And I want to ask you to spend some time. Uh, instead, we usually do a prayer of examine before we approach the communion table where I ask you a bunch of questions and give you some space to reflect on them. What I want to do instead of today is just ask you one question. I want to ask you to reflect on where you've seen God moving in your life in the past six weeks. How has your faith been growing? Have you been able to identify God's fingerprints in your life? I want to give you some time to just prayerfully reflect with God on that and ask. Hopefully, you've been looking. Hopefully, you've been considering. But I want to give you just some space today to reflect and to pray. Uh, After that, we're going to approach the communion table. This table is our opportunity to participate with the disciples in that meal that Jesus shared with them the night before he was killed. That meal where he broke bread and gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. After the meal was finished, he offered them a cup of wine. He said, this wine is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Drink it. When we come to the communion table, we come to God's ultimate demonstration of faithfulness, of trustworthiness. We come to the table because God invites us to the table. We respond to God. We receive from God grace. And then God sends us back into the world. So you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us today. If, if you're coming to respond to God, if in, in, in a big way or in a small way you have seen God moving in your life or heard God calling you, and you want to say yes to that, then you're welcome to come to the table today. Uh, first, we're going to do that time of prayer. I want to go ahead and show you the, we're going to put them up here on the screen so you have them. I'm going to give you some, some time to respond prayerfully in silence. But i want to ask that question, how have I experienced God growing my faith? I say during the series, but in the last couple months, just while we've been really focused on it, right? Has it been through practical teaching? Has there been a thing that you had kind of sensed that God was telling you to do and you just been resistant to it and then you just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it I don't understand it maybe all, all the way, but I'm just, I'm just going to do that thing that God's been calling me to do. Did that change your faith? Is it providential relationships? Have you recognized during this series that there is someone that God has put in your life that is good for you, that you need to lean into that relationship? Have you begun to cultivate that? Private disciplines. Again, is there a, is there a way that you have not been making space for God? You've not been in prayer. You've not been giving. You've not been reading scripture. And you started doing that. Even though you didn't have time for it, even though finances are tight, even though, even though all the excuses that we always have, right, and you just decided to do it to make space for God, to shape you, to transform you. Is there a personal service? Is there a way that you have said yes to what God is calling you to do to step outside of your comfort zone? Even though you're underqualified, even though you're not equipped, even though you don't have the right training, is there a way that you have said yes or a way that you're being called to say yes? And again, the one we talked about today, pivotal circumstances. Maybe you're in the midst of a hard time right now, and you've needed to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to let God flex that faith muscle. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes of silence so you can spend some time thinking about this. Uh, if you want, we have these, we've had these leaves up here that you can take, and I really would encourage you, you can do it when you come through the communion line if you want instead of coming up, you can come up now too, just to write down something. It can be as vague as you want, uh, but we're going to put these uh, on the tree that's out there as you come in, uh, and it's going to be a part of marking what is building our faith as a church. Right? So we really do want you to be a contributor. We want, we want your faith journey marked uh, as we move into our next series next week. Uh, but I'm going to give you time, uh, some time just to prayerfully consider where you've seen God at work in your life this week, this month this series. And then after a couple of minutes of silence, I'm going to pray for us. And then as you're ready, you're welcome to come forward and receive the communion meal. So please spend a couple of minutes asking that question. How have I experienced God growing my faith? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us here today uh, for such good news that uh, you are always present with us, always calling us, always working in our lives, even and especially in those painful times. Uh, We admit that that's hard to to feel, that that, that it's often hard in those times to to sense your presence. And so we're grateful for the story of your servant and your friend Lazarus, who you did not abandon to death, but rather worked in such a way uh, that many came to know your goodness and your faithfulness. We approach your table today as a people uh, who are humbled by your offer of relationship to us, your offer of trust. And we ask that as we come, that you would speak to us yet again. That you would fill us with your love and your mercy. And that by coming and to receive these wafers and these juice that they would become a spiritual food. That they would point yet again to your body and your blood broken for us, poured out for us. Final reminder that you are good and that you are faithful and that you are true. Send us from this place as a people of great faith knowing you, trusting you, loving you, that we might be a beacon of hope to everyone that we see and we encounter. We offer these prayers and we approach your table this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, As you're going today, I just want to send you, again, not just with the the overall hope that God is inviting you to faith, but specifically that God is inviting you in the midst of those difficult circumstances, Uh, especially for those of you that are in the midst of those circumstances right now. As you go, would you know that God is present with you working with you, hurting with you, working to bring about your good. Uh, And for those of you who are not in the midst of that right now, you know someone who is, and you can be God's presence in their life uh, with your friendship and your love. So as you go this week, would you go with your eyes open to God's goodness around you, knowing that God is with you, working, inviting you to have a deeper faith and a bigger trust that you might be uh, the light of the world. Go in the grace and peace of the Father.